0: July 12th, 2020. So, big day yesterday. Trump wore a mask during the Walter Reed Hospital in Maryland. More than 15,000 tested COVID positive yesterday, alone, in Florida, as Disney World reopened. Biden leads Trump by numbers eerily close to what Hillary had at this point in 2016, although it does look like seniors in the Sunbolt states are getting fed up and now are leaning towards Papa Joe. And that's not why yesterday was a big day. Little Johnny, my brother, tied the knot with his better half, Amanda. That's right, my first COVID wedding. Brothers Michael and Tom all hit the road at 9.30. Got to Lafayette, Indiana, in time for the 3 p.m. ceremony, thanks to Michael. It was a quickie, one of my favorites. A former roommate of John's got ordained online last week. Sounds like it takes less time to do that than it does to propose. We took pictures with masks in front of train stations, in front of fountains. A party of seven then gathered with masks. To a nearby restaurant where we blocked off the back room about six tables we toasted champagne ordered some great food and drank around courtesy of another roommate of John's who couldn't make it the couple are going to go traditional big about a year from now but it was nice to go old-school so I can hear you doing the math Wait, you leave st. Louis 930 Indiana's an Eastern time zone so 3 p.m. their time it's 2 p.m. do you know those signs on the highway where they tell you how fast you're going we tried to get to zero zero to see if it would show that when you hit 100, couldn't get there, got to 98 a couple times, damn trucks blocking our way. That story leads me to a cannonball run story. For those not familiar, there is a classic 1,800-mile stretch from New York to California that carsters have been making for years to see how fast they can get from point A to point B. There's one decent movie, there's one bad sequel about this, uh, Surrounded Burnt Reynolds, came out in the, both came out in the early 80s, Well, taking advantage of lack of traffic and police over the last couple months, folks have shaved off about two hours from the previous best. Current record holder Fred Ashmore broke the 26-hour mark, came in at 25 hours and 55 minutes in his rented Ford Mustang. Would have loved to have been there at that enterprise exchange. He drove it all himself, averaged nearly 108 miles per hour, took out the passenger and back seats to provide the car with 130 gallons of fuel capacity. The tanks... Just your normal Facebook Marketplace purchase. Average 12 miles per gallon. Maybe not with Fred, but I see an upcoming documentary in my future. Three things you should if you have not. Comedian John Mulaney's 2009 bit The salt and Pepper Diner from the record The Top Part. I don't want to ruin it for you, but how could playing Tom Jones' What's New Pussycat 21 times on a restaurant jukebox not be funny? Number two, the movie Knives Out. It's on Netflix. Came out in 2019. Think Agatha Christie meets Clue. It's not often a movie grosses $300 million and doesn't hit my radar, but this one did. It's a lot of fun. Folks you'll recognize are Chris Evans, Damian Lee Curtis, Don Johnson, Tony Collette, Mr. von Chomp himself, Christopher Plummer, fantastic at 80 years old, and Daniel Craig, who, for the most part, I can take or leave. He's the detective in the movie, and he's strong. $300 million means a sequel has been signed off on. A wedding gift for Johnny, who's a big fan of the movie. Okay, lastly, and this one's tricky because he's not on the air right now, but don't miss this episode with St. Louis radio pillar Guy Phillips. Guy's a great storyteller, and he doesn't disappoint. We talk about growing up in Chicago, how he landed in St. Louis, his time on the kids' show DB's Delight, a couple of promotions gone astray, etc., etc. Guy's always there to lend a hand, and when he can, he'll sell Albert Pujols a puppy when the opportunity presents itself. He's retired now and loving it. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and Guy's St. Louis 7 video on YouTube, where he talks about his first breakfast after hanging it up at the Y98 radio show he used to do. Again, the YouTube channel, OT with Oliver. I get in front of more ears when you subscribe, so thanks for that. This episode's a strong one. Come on down, Guy Phillips. Go to overtime. Overtime with Oliver with my dad. Tell your friends. And now it's time for another episode of Overtime with Oliver. Wherever you get your podcasts, thanks for joining us today. We are honored with 2006 St. Louis Radio Hall of Famer Guy
1: Phillips. How you do? Oh my God! Is it was that the year that I was inducted? Was that according to the interwebs? Yeah, I don't. You know, I I've lost track. I'm now angling for the national radio hall of fame. Uh, I I was uh, nominated a couple of years ago and uh, they put me in a category. They, it's very funny. They said, congratulations. You, you're a finalist in the national radio hall of fame, but because they'd already selected people that were on a local level, they put me in with Ryan Seacrest, Bobby bones, some other national guy. And, uh, of course we know how that all worked out uh so this is this is my last year and and this is i'm calling it quits after this i don't want to be nominated i don't if i don't get in now i'm not even gonna try it's like i don't care anymore
0: ted simmons just got elected to the hall of fame on the senior committee
1: i know that uh, you know and i don't want to be called senior i hate that uh, you can call me senior <laughs> i would be okay with that, but don't call me senior
0: You've been retired for 10 days. Does the wife want you out of the house yet?
1: 10 days. That's funny. No, actually, here's a little secret. I think she likes it. Yeah. Um, You know what? I I was working at home during the COVID uh, early crisis. I had just come back from Florida. I went on vacation on March the 5th, and I came back on the 12th. And my boss called me that Monday morning before I came in. It was around 11 o'clock. I do the afternoon show, so uh, I usually go in around twelve thirty one 31 o'clock. And he called me around 11, and he said, Hey, uh, do me a favor today. Don't come in today. And I said, Why? And he said, There's people talking in the hall about you. Uh, maybe you're infected. And, you know, I, I really I laughed at that. This was so early on, I was thinking, how is that possible? So I stayed home and I did the show on the phone. The next day, somebody dropped off all this gear and I did the show for two and a half months from the house. And so I think by being home, Kim got used to it. I kind of got used to it. And to be honest with you, the whole retirement thing came up because, and it's not like I haven't been talking about it for the last decade. Everybody that's ever worked with me is kind of like, okay, man, give it up. But um, I, I was working from home. The COVID thing hit, ad revenues were down. My daughter, my middle daughter, first baby ever, first grandkid ever, she's due in 10 days or so. And I thought, you know, let's do it. So I pulled the trigger. And you now are a grandfather, correct? Not yet, no, 10 days, uh, you know. Uh, I don't know when you're watching this, but uh, July, I think July 12th, 10, 14 days, something like that, And uh, because we, we're we not allowed into the anything. I wouldn't want to be in the delivery room with my own daughter, you know, and that, that's creepy. I've got two, so I know what you're talking about. It's funny, I saw her born naked, but I don't want to see her giving birth, okay? All right. Call me weird. I know there's some parents that do that stuff. I think it's weird, it's crazy. It's lunatic, don't do it. But uh, they still, they won't even let us in the hospital. So we're just gonna wait for the call. And when she calls, we'll zoom on up.
0: Sure, call. Right on the street is, uh, you're gonna open up a one pan chili food truck.
1: <laughs> I'd love it. But no, that's uh, that's not true. We're actually angling for popsicles.
0: Uh, you always got the PGA Senior Tour.
1: Yeah, that's right. If I could, uh, you know, break seventy, that might be, uh, you know, uh, an indicator that I was ready for that. It's so funny how how guys and I I know a couple of guys in my lifetime who you know maybe twenty years ago they were good golfers, you know, single, low single digit golfers. Yeah, I'm gonna give this Senior Tour a shot. I said, if you can't beat Freddie couples today what makes you think you can beat him when you're you know when he's on the senior tour uh, what, what's the good and
0: bad of being able to shoot
1: your age uh, well it's pretty cool because by the time you're able to shoot your age you don't give a crap about anything you know you don't care about people or what they think about you or you know politics or life in general I, <laughs> I, I
0: think I'm gonna have to live to be about 110 before I can shoot
1: <laughs> yeah that's right. So, um, yeah, so I haven't come close to shooting my age, but I know guys that have done it. It's kind of a fun thing, and uh, I'd like to be able to do it sometime.
0: Have you ever played a round of golf at Cardinal Creek Golf Course? Of course I have.
1: I had the greatest experience ever at Cardinal Creek early on in my career in St. Louis. It had to have been around 1981, 82, and I was playing in a charity tournament out there, and I, for the life of me can't remember the name of the charity tournament. I think it had something to do with military. It was at a military base, right? Cardinal Creek, Scott Air Force Base. And uh, I got there late. That's my nature. And I'm uh, running into the shop trying to, you know, pull my shoes on, carrying my golf bag. And, you know, I get in there and I said, what hole am I on? Well, you're on 14, and that's about as far from here as, why don't you just play with the guys? They're teeing off on number one right now. There's only three of them. So you play with them. So I went down there and I could not believe it. Now remember, I'd only been in St. Louis for—I got here in '79, so a couple of years, two, three years—and I get down there and it's uh, Joe Cunningham, Stan Musial, and um, I can't remember the other guy, but Red Shemin. Red—it was Red. It was Red. Yeah, I don't know why I couldn't remember that. I, you know, uh, because uh, Red is—let's uh, see—Joe and Red are both left-handed and i got to tell you something and again i was really lax on the history of st louis cardinal baseball at that time i mean i followed it but it wasn't i didn't it wasn't ingrained in me but that day that would that's my only regret that there weren't cell phones or video or something that i would have had a memory of that but i spent the better part of four or four and a half hours out on a golf course with those three guys, and it couldn't have been cooler. And that's, it's a great memory. So yes, I played Cardinal Creek. I'm jealous, I'm jealous. So yeah. you grew up in Highland Park, Illinois.
0: Northwestern fan?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, kind of. It's interesting, I worked at Northwestern University's radio station, WNUR, one summer. When I came home from college, a buddy of mine and I went over there to see if we could work there, that was 1971. And uh, they said, sure. And so uh, they gave us jobs to uh, work on the air there for the summer. It was pretty cool. Uh, I, I was never smart enough to get into Northwestern. They probably wouldn't have wanted to have me anyway. But uh, yeah, I used to go to see the Wildcats play football. And uh, I was just up there recently. My uh, niece is an all American lacrosse player with Syracuse. And they played Northwestern, and they've got a great facility. And we went up last year to watch watch them play. When there was college sports, do you remember?
0: Uh, I ten weekends till maybe football. I'm I'm a big Missouri maybe. fan. Maybe,
1: and yeah, I don't I don't think so. Uh, I, I'm hearing uh, I've got a very good friend who works on the staff at USC, and I'm hearing not good things.
0: So uh, I had an aunt who was smarter than the both of us. She went to Northwestern. Those are the goofiest beaches in the country.
1: <laughs> well, they're they're getting smaller. That's one thing. Um, and they're kind of you mean the way they divide them? Just it, it's forty degrees at night. Oh right, right yes. <laughs> and
0: they they are there. They were social distanced before we needed social distance. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Northwestern is not the kind of place you want to be going to school in January. You know, it's it's bitter. It's right there. It's the coldest spot on the planet. What'd your mom and dad do? Uh, My mom was a, she worked at a bank uh, as the uh, executive secretary to the president of the bank, whom she didn't like, but worked there anyway until they mandatorily retired her at 65. And at 66, she took a job uh, filing with Allstate because she couldn't stand being retired. Isn't this a funny thing? We're talking retirement. And she went back to work at an actuarial firm after that and worked till 77. She was on their bowling team. Um, she was quite a woman, lived to be 96. Uh, my dad, on the other hand, he was an insurance agent, owned his own insurance company, uh, sold it to a guy who never paid him. Retired. He retired in Arizona and lived to be 77 just long enough to get an inheritance from his old man and then cursed him. And that was the end of that black sheep of the family. Any brothers or sisters? Got a brother, uh, Pete, who lives in Mobile, Alabama. He was a pretty darn good baseball player. He was a third baseman, played for the University of South Alabama for a guy that many people remember because he was a cardinal, I think, for a short time, Eddie Stanky. And Eddie Snanky was the coach when my brother played there. He was all conference and all that. Uh, He got drafted uh, way back when by the Orioles, but never played in the bigs.
0: No media guys
1: in your background? Not that I know of. I have a, uh, my cousin's son uh, was in a couple of movies out in Hollywood. He played the bully in a movie called Hoot. So now he's out there in Hollywood, he's writing, and we've, we've told each other we were gonna write different movies, I've given him so many plots I can't even tell you. Because um, I, 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 ha- I come up with the ideas, but I can't stand the, uh, the thought of having to sit down and be still. <laughs> did you have a favorite announcer growing up, DJ? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I did, there were a few. I was always a radio guy, so I really enjoyed the likes of uh, Larry Lujak, Fred Winston. These are Chicago guys. Uh, Steve York, Bob Dearborn. Um, yeah, there there were there were a number of them that I really liked.
0: Because in Chicago, if you had a if you had a big stick, you could pick up some signals from across the country.
1: Yeah, you could, you know, as Chicago beams uh, all over the place. Uh, those clear channel radio stations, and I don't mean the company clear channel, but that's what they call those uh, stations that are, are protected. Uh, they, they pretty much, uh, you know, you can get cloud skips, and you'll hear people saying, I heard you in Europe. I don't know how that all works, but I so used what? to work at a radio station in Mexico, and we were 150,000 watt AM stations. And the most in the US is 50. So we got QSL or what do they call them? DSL, QSL cards from all over the country. So walk me through this guy. I'm a
0: parent of three, right? Mm -hmm. And you hear all these horror stories of your daughter. So beautiful. We want her to be a model. Here's my card. You signed up and like voluntarily to become a professional broadcaster. You filled out some paperwork, and some guy shows up at your house, and uh, if I had been your parents, that person never would have got through my door. Walk me through how this all worked out. Who, who,
1: who told you that?
0: Oh, I do some research, man.
1: <laughs> all right. Um, I think I was probably 12, 13, maybe, and I really liked radio, but I I didn't think I'd have a career. I didn't even think about a career at twelve or thirteen. Now kids today, you know, they at eight they know they're going to be going into, you know, astrophysics. Uh, You know, for us, we were like, "Where's the next softball game?" What are we, you know, we're going to ride our bikes. Um, But I guess twelve or thirteen, I filled out something on the back of a comic book. This should tell you something about my life history. And uh, sent it in, and it was to the, oh, man, I think it was RCA. Or it was somehow connected to, you know, RCA. And uh, some guy, random guy, shows up at our doorstep just around dinner time. It was probably 15, 20 minutes before dinner. And the doorbell rings, and I answer it. And it's this guy standing there. He's got a big tape recorder, and I, uh, you know, yeah. Says, I'm, I'm here to do a voice test for you. So I call my mom. She goes to the door, and she's like, what is this? Now, this was the 1960s, and people were more trusting, and so she let the guy in the house. She wasn't very happy about it. And he came in and set up his thing, and he explained that he wanted to uh, see if I had the chops to do radio. And, of course, you know, I don't know whatever his cut would have been if we would have bought into the program. It's only $800. We'll get him across. I'm 13, 12, 13 years old. So I sat down and I had the mic and I did, I read something or whatever. And the guy, of course, went, oh, man, he is talented. <laughs> Give me your money now. And um, he left and my mom <laughs> said, you're not getting dinner. So, <laughs> uh, that was pretty much that. Uh, but it is kind of funny how that was my first foray into anything broadcasting, some stranger in my home with a recorder.
0: 1969 year junior in high school. Who is Don Schneider?
1: Uh, Don, Don was uh, my best friend. And although, you know, I have to say something that's kind of sad. Uh, I went to visit Don maybe, Oh, had to be 20 years ago and I had my kids with me and I called him and I said, we're going over. Cause I had so many Don Schneider stories. And the kids wanted to just meet this guy. So we went to his house and he was married to a gal that, that we both were in high school with. And uh, I liked her a lot. And we were in his kitchen and he didn't tell one story about me, nothing. It was like, it was a completely different, you know, world I was living in. I was talking about these stories and Don would laugh and, you know, he but he never told us. And I was just, dying inside because my kids are like this guy doesn't even remember you (laughs) but uh don and i used to uh hang out after school in high school we would go into uh downtown highland park to baum's bakery and we'd buy a cake like one of those eight inch cakes and we would have them put on the cake these different uh, you know congratulations on your you know your funeral (laughs) We'd put stuff like happy bar mitzvah, you know, every week it would change, but we would eat a cake, play ping pong until like 5.30 and then I'd go home and tell my mom I wasn't hungry.
0: (laughs) And you and him went on some recruiting trips for college.
1: Oh, we did. In fact, drove around the country in my dad's 1969 uh, uh, 327 uh, uh, Chevrolet it was the camaro the chevy camaro oh my gosh yeah so uh we drove from chicago this was in march of 1969 and i remember saying to my mom and dad uh, you know we're gonna go look at some colleges and they were like okay this isn't like today where you know you're flying all over the country and kids have got the luxury of, we had nothing we, you know gas was only like 29 39 cents a gallon or So that wasn't terrible. We slept in the car. Can you imagine this? A Camaro. All right. A Camaro. We slept in the car in sleeping bags. Uh, We drove from Chicago and we went uh, West. So uh, we drove like uh, through, I don't know, Nebraska and and we got to Colorado and we went to New Mexico. Um, And when we got to Albuquerque, New Mexico, we were so tired. We, Thought about checking the hotel, but it was like 39 bucks a night. We didn't have the money to spend on that. So we slept behind a gas station. And right in the middle of the night, uh, I wake up and I, because I heard a noise, and I see a knife blade coming through the back window. Remember, the the rear window of the convertible was plastic. And so I see this, about four inches of a knife blade come through there, slicing through there. And I went, Don! And he wakes up, what? And then everybody takes off. They thought the sleeping bags were stuff. They were going to steal all this stuff in these sleeping bags. And the stuff happened to be us. So that was, and then I had to explain to my dad how that knife cut got in the back of the, you know.
0: Because you you know two kids sleeping in a Camaro overnight are loaded with money.
1: Oh, yeah. Of course, (laughs) they didn't know that. And here's this 69 Camaro, yellow Some station in Albuquerque. But the good news is, when we skedaddled out of there, I drove about 150, 200 miles south and found the college that uh, changed my career or started it anyway.
0: Like everybody else in Highland, you went to New Mexico State.
1: Uh, I did, yes, Uh, New Mexico State University, and um, I got into the uh, radio TV program there. I started the, I didn't start it, but I was one of the first broadcasters. I was among the first of the first day I did weather the very first day that KRWG which is now a PBS station um, the very first day they broadcast but uh, I eventually became the program director of the AM station I worked on the FM station and uh, about 1972 I brought down a tape to El Paso and got hired to do weekends at a radio station down there. So that was, the, that was the start of it all. When you follow sports, do you still follow the Aggies? Uh, yeah, you know, I do. I, uh, they're not a high-profile team, so you don't read about them anywhere except uh, down in New Mexico. But it's funny because, uh, you know, I do the public address for the Billiken basketball team. And uh, a couple of years, two, three years ago uh, when we played New Mexico State in the first round of the uh, NCAA, you know, the big dance, the Final Four, and it was kind of – we beat them, and they had a pretty good team, but that was kind of cool. Um, but I, I, I go back occasionally. I've established a, a scholarship down there in my name, and I've been fortunate enough in my lifetime to earn enough – that I could uh, do that and then help some other kids that are in what we used to call journalism, but now it's more social media based. So uh, it covers, you know, it helps uh, with the expenses that they have and you gotta apply for it. And the standards are very low. Their AD, their AD is a Mizzou guy. Yes, that's right, he is. And in fact, I met him, Hang on, um, super nice guy. I met him just two years ago,
0: Mario uh, Machia.
1: Yes, and and he just he sent me a uh, Mario sent me a real nice note, and he's been in touch a couple of times. I can't, you know, I couldn't remember his name, but good guy, yeah, really good guy.
0: You know, this is twenty years ago, but he was just a fantastically nice person when he was at the zoo. He was, you know, he was low on the totem pole, so that kind of came with sure. the territory. But he left for, I think it was S A U E, and then in researching for what we've got going on, I was like, "Hey, New Mexico State, good for you, Mario."
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's he's eventually trying to sneak out of the country because well, I mean, he's he's gone to, from from Missouri to New Mexico, <laughs> and you know, he's eventually going to just slip away.
0: He's going to climb over that wall.
1: Yeah. Well. Yeah. Right. If they build, it. there is a, actually a wall there. There has all you know. El Paso is kind of an odd town. It's divided by Juarez, Mexico. And again, like I told you, I, I used to work in Mexico. We would drive over the border every single day. Uh, that was an experience being in Mexico. But um, uh, yeah, there uh, th- there's a city. El Paso is probably close to half a million now. But Juarez has like three million people. It's pretty amazing. And... It is the most dangerous, or one of the most dangerous cities in the world now. Hmm. Sad.
0: All right, guys, so who is Pistol Pete?
1: Well, Pistol Pete is the uh, the New Mexico State logo, That's uh, and he's got guns, man. doesn't have his license to conceal because he's always got them like this. After we get through all this,
0: is there still going to be a Pistol Pete in 10 years?
1: Uh, you know, if, if they kowtow to, you know, the more sensitive type, the people that are woke, I'm a little tired of it all, to be honest with you. How did you meet Mike Wall? Uh, Mike and I met at, when I was working, remember I said I had the uh, weekend, I applied for a weekend shift and got hired down there, and he was working on the FM, I was working on the AM, and we kind of just crossed paths, and we started goofing around, hanging out, and... and uh we started kind of a pseudo comedy team and we started doing stand-up comedy uh, at different nightclubs and venues uh, in the southwest and uh, then a guy from uh, an FM station said, "Hey you know you, you guys have radio experience and you're funny and uh, that was subjective by the way but how would you like to do the first two-man morning show in El Paso? And so we did. And that's how that all started.
0: Ever played the Funny
1: Bone? Uh, no, not the Funny Bone. Well, yes, actually. Uh, a couple of times. Uh, introducing some acts. I think I did a, like a five-minute thing there. So, uh, yeah, when Courtney Landrum had her, I don't know, was it her 20th year at Y98? It was held at the Funny Bone, and she asked me to come be one of the people in a roaster. And so uh, I did about 10 minutes there. It was fun. Did you know Craig Hoxley? Oh, yeah, very well.
0: I read, and I was doing something else. You know, the Jeff, oh, man, I'm going to blow this. There's that comedy team, Rick White and Jeff something, and they toured the country for years. Do you remember what I'm talking about? There's some I kind don't. of redneck thing
1: uh oh you're talking about uh um yes anyway yes.
0: found out hoxley was supposed to be a part of that but him and jeff didn't get along Really? <laughs> and that's how rick white became and i'm not you know, again i'm going through some old research but hoxley was really supposed to be part of that whole thing and then right as it was starting off him and the jeff guy didn't get along and so he got booted for Rick what?
1: I can't imagine Craig Hawksley being a redneck. I, you know, he's so far from that, you know. And St. Louis has really had a, a, a great – Foxworthy, Jeff Foxworthy. Yeah, Foxworthy, yeah. Um, so Foxworthy and Bill Engvall. Um, Bill Engball cut his teeth here in St. Louis, amazingly enough. We became very good friends. Used to play golf all the time. If you ever uh, talk to him, you just say, hey, uh, you know, who helped launch your career in St. Louis? (laughs) Is Guy the name on your birth certificate? It better be. (laughs) Where'd that come from? My mom was born in Montreal. To American parents, uh, why they would go up there when my grandmother was pregnant, I have no idea. My grandfather was a button salesman, so maybe he had a big button deal going on. Up in Toronto, but she was born in Toronto. I think she always liked the Canadian pronunciation. Gee, right. I don't know.
0: All right. So January nineteen seventy nine. You're moving to Fresno. You take over the morning show at KSLQ. Were you trying to get back to the Midwest, or why the move to KSLQ? Uh,
1: well, we came in and we interviewed in January. We actually uh, took the job and started in March. Um, no, I don't. We weren't trying to get back to the Midwest. We actually had accepted a job offer in San Diego at uh, KCBQ. uh, But their morning show that left KCBQ and went to Boston, uh, they didn't like Boston or they weren't well received or whatever the deal is. So they decided they were gonna go back. And in the interim, we got called and said, sorry, uh, our original morning show is coming back to KCBQ. And uh, we can't hire you. So uh, I would have probably still been living in San Diego, poor as, you know, couldn't rub two nickels together and playing golf. But uh, the guy that that brought those guys back to San Diego took the job in St. Louis. And so he called and said, be interested in coming to St. Louis. We sent some tapes, we had some conversation. They flew us in in January of 79. And uh, they hired us that night. At a restaurant? At a restaurant. Which was? I believe it was the Media Club, downtown St. Louis.
0: Nice.
1: 26 at the time? Yep. Married? Question mark? No, not not at the time. Not at the time.
0: And of course,
1: you knew that you'd be spending the next 38 and a half years in St. Louis on 98.1. Oh man, I'll tell you, you know, it's funny, uh, never, never could have predicted that. Never. I, I, you know, I, I didn't even have an idea, but I suppose in my mind, uh, I was thinking, you know, four or five years here and then somewhere else. And it's not that we didn't have job offers. There were a couple of nice little job offers, but you know, St. Louis was kind of a cool town and, and. We sort of liked it and uh, our popularity was good when we started, uh, but uh, it became very competitive in the in the pop music world. But we held on and uh, my partner and I split up in 1990 and then I went on my own and uh, managed to uh, build and grow an audience and stayed with it until the wrong people were in place. But I knew that it was going to end sometime. You know, it's like, who's going to be the guy, the last guy, uh, you know, to close the door behind me? You know, <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. Do you have a good Karen Carroll story? A good one? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny you should ask. Look, you know, I know there are people that in the business, uh, that if they're watching this, it, Karen was, she was hard. She was to work for, not for me. Now we had a different relationship because, uh, it was symbiotic. Uh, K- Karen needed me, uh, and I needed Karen. And so I was above all the stuff, the din, uh, but, uh, one of the, stories I remember about Karen is that uh, our engineer, Jeff Andrews, great guy, very qualified engineer. She would uh, page him in the office. And every time Karen paged somebody, we knew that it was to go over to her house to do something. And uh, she'd always say, uh, Jeff would walk in, honey, would you go and clean out my pool? We've got a party this weekend. Now here's a guy who's a full-time employee. You know he's an engineer. He went to school for this. He's uh, talented, and here he is cleaning out Karen Carroll's pool for a party. So, you know, that, I never got called for the pool duty. But
0: uh, I'll tell you something. Did. You did get called in for. So there was a really brief window, guy, where I was selling for K Fan, mm-hmm. and we were hostage at the radio station on market with Y98. And so I wasn't really part of that culture, but we'd be in meetings every Monday morning, you know? Mm-hmm. And so Karen's running the meeting. Everybody's there. And I'm going to make a joke. We're like a billion dollars on our budget and it's the 29th of the month. But she'd go, we got three spots left in Guy's show. We can get the budget. Somebody go make this happen. And then a couple times she'd drag you in. And you'd have to give like a rah-rah speech on how you know you can really help companies, with, and I wasn't a part of it, so I was just it was like a circus show.
1: Funny, I, I, I don't have any. I I have recollections of talking to people, you know, going in and talking in meetings, but um, I, I I don't I don't recall that at all. To be honest, I believe it.
0: It so you got a lot of GMs, man. You got a lot of ownership groups. You've been through. You've been through the format changes. If you would explain to me what demographic college
1: is? Uh wow. Well, it's uh, and it's a good term, and I think it still applies today. But demographic college is an opportunity for you to always know that you've got an ever-shifting audience, and that you have to maintain a connection to your audience. So how do you do that? You've got to go to college. And by that I mean you have to do your studies to be able to extract the information that you impart to your audience that is meaningful to them In uh, on different levels. It could be something that's comedic. Uh, I, th- I thought we were pretty good at that. It's something perhaps political. It could be something of social commentary. It could be something that was a heartstring tug. But uh, you had to keep reinventing how you do things and what you do. And so you had to keep going to school to do that because as the years pass, it's not always easy to latch on to what the next generation, the next demographic shift is going to want to hear from you. And if you don't give that to them, they're going to get it somewhere else. So that's your demographic college.
0: When I say politically correct, what do you think?
1: Um, I don't like it. I don't like, political correctness. I think I prefer the term common sense. We're all different. People have different views on everything. There are some instances where now I'm getting a slippery slope where it's necessary to be politically correct. Uh, I, I give you a, an example. Um, I, I think we use the word retarded liberally throughout our lives until we realized how hurtful that is to people that have, and I don't even want to use the word to describe that because that's kind of more of an umbrella word for a lot of different symptoms. So, um, so I think it's if I was going to you even using that word in the sense that uh, you know something was behind you know, I wouldn't use that. I'd be more politically correct about, about using that term. But I think that what we've done is we've taken it to the nth degree. And I think it's, it's a movement that you can associate with nihilism. It, 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 this nihilistic behavior where, you know, nothing matters, nothing matters anymore. Uh, is is really disturbing to me. And and I would love nothing more than to have a groundswell of support uh, against people who believe that everything has to be corrected, because it doesn't. And we got to put our collective feet down to stop it.
0: Radio is a weird business. You were in it a long time. My friend's Used to always just think my stories were hilarious behind the scenes of what was going on. People watch the TV show WKRP. Do you have a turkeys on Thanksgiving promotion Uh story?
1: Oh, my. Well, (laughs) yeah, I mean, there's so many, so many stories. Uh, Well, okay, I'll give you an example. I have two, really, two of them. One was our station, one was a friend of mine who worked at another station. But um, uh, we had a, a deal where we would give you $25,000 if we didn't play three songs in a row. That was our, our spring promotion one year, right? This is, and, remember,
0: the, remember the WKRP where they clip all those songs together, like a second and a half of each song? Do you remember that episode?
1: Hey, go ahead. I don't, but, but I mean, I've, I've seen so many of those episodes. I was distracted by Lonnie Anderson. <laughs> I don't know what you were looking at.
0: All right, so I interrupted you. $25,000 for three songs.
1: Yeah, three songs in a row, 25 grand. And if we fail to play the three songs in a row, you win the 25000 Well, as you know, we budgeted $50,000 for this 13-week promotion. So people would keep listening. And if we didn't, play, you know, I mean, that that was it. So we, we did one in the afternoon show and one in the morning show. But we, we didn't tell people there's only, you know, 50 grand dedicated to this. People would think, oh, man, this is going to happen time and time again. So we blew that. Like uh, we did the first one in the afternoon show, like two and a half weeks into the promotion. And then uh, about nine weeks in, we did one in the morning show. That was it, that's all we had. So about, I don't know, two or three weeks later, we hadn't finished the promotion. It was in the nine o'clock hour. Uh, We weren't paying attention. We played the long version of the Rolling Stones, Start Me Up, which is like six and a half minutes. So we played one song, followed by that song, we segued them, we played them back to back. And then we looked at the clock and it was like, 11 minutes had gone by or 10 minutes had gone by. We certainly had played three in a row, so we stopped. Neither one of us realized that we'd only played two. We're in the middle of a Ruma's Deli live commercial. The phones are blowing up. The lights in the studio are going crazy, all of them. And my very first thought was, "Huh, I wonder, we must have said something funny. And then it hit me. All the blood drained from my my head. My God, we only played two songs. Holy <laughs> Oh, my God. So we called the engineer, same engineer, Jeff Andrews. He came in. We said, Jeff, you got to listen to the, the logger tape because we used to tape 24 hours, you know, the big wheels. They'd move really slowly. And uh, he went back. Phone- we hadn't answered the phone yet. This is like 10 minutes now. Phones are going crazy. Uh, we're trying to get out of our show, this is the very end of our show at nine o'clock, almost 10 o'clock in the morning. And uh, he comes back in and he says, You only played two songs, he only played two songs. I had to walk down the hall, the hall of shame, into Ron Grubbs, he was our general manager at the time. And he's sitting at his desk about 20 feet from me and he's got on these big aviator, thick aviator glasses. And I said, Ron, and he looks up like this, I said, I think I just gave away $25,000 and he cocked his head like this. And I said, we only played two songs in a row. He was holding a cross pen and he threw that pen and it it went right by my ear and hit the cork board behind me. And I could see that I took $25,000 out of it. Now I was only making like $45,000 a year at that time. And I'm thinking I got to pay for it, you know? I'm going to be making nothing, nothing. And I walked back down there. We answered the phone. We gave away the $25,000. The guy that won it came in to collect it like that day. And then he went over to the bank and they wouldn't let him cash it because they didn't believe that he won the 25 grand that that this guy who was all dirty and dusty and nasty had won this $25,000. And then we had to verify that he did. And uh, that was the end of that. And uh, so, but one other quick one, if you don't mind, and I'll make it really quick. Um, So I had a friend that worked at WIL and they did a promotion where they're giving away a camper. It was the the camper shell and, you know, it was this fancy camper deal. And uh, so they qualified 93 people on the air and they all showed up and picked a key out of a bowl and they were all waiting in line to open it up. And they're live on the air, you know, hey, here we go with the first person. And she steps up and she puts the key in and it opens the door to the thing. And it's like there's this big groan and you hear all these keys getting thrown on the floor. The first person in line won this thing, right? And everybody leaves. And then somebody thought, wow, that is really weird that the first person. So they took their key and they locked the door and they closed it and it wouldn't open it. The promotions person forgot to lock the door. They had to give the you know, they didn't tell anybody. They told me. That's what <laughs> that's when putting a key day. in a bowl meant something different. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank <laughs> you. Good night, everybody. Good night, Smoky.
0: <laughs> All right, so uh nineteen eighty three. Guy, there's always this, you know, how do you replace Norm Stewart? How do you replace Steve on Blues Clues? and you gotta replace Bobby Day.
1: Oh yeah, Um, yeah, the old DB's Delight. Uh, Well, Bobby Day actually asked me to do it. No. He said he was moving to Kansas City. Uh, He had done this show on Channel 4 since its inception, and Bobby Day, he had a perpetual young look with the exception of the mustache. If you saw him hanging around, uh, and God bless his soul, he's, he's since passed, um, but he had this mustache and he wore suspenders. And if you saw him hanging around a, a elementary school, you probably would have arrested him. But, um, uh, Bobby moved to Kansas city to work at KCBQ. And he came to me and he said, Hey, do you want to do this show? And so I went down and I did a little audition for him and they said, Hey, you got it. You do it. And I worked for scale. It was all right. You know, it was kind of fun. Um,
0: so people that don't remember, it was kind of like a precursor of you're smarter than the fifth grader, except it was right. fifth graders versus fifth
1: graders. That, that's right. And, I, you know, if memory serves, and, and you may be more correct than me, I thought it was sixth graders. I it think you're be. right.
0: Because you know, what's great about this, now that you're retired and you have time, you can go on YouTube, courtesy of the Missouri History Museum, see some other episodes. By the way, where did those glasses go?
1: Those went into the, uh, oh, my God, I could uh, actually take these off and burn an entire ant village (laughs) Um, pile.
0: (laughs) You have folks that come up to you now and say, I was on DB's Delight.
1: Yep. Yeah. I hear about that, I think, maybe once every five or six months. The odd thing is, when I hired my intern at, at Y98, he wasn't really an intern. He was working as my audio guy. but. His wife was on it, which was you know, kind of funny, but I didn't know that for about six months. I don't know <laughs> why you didn't tell me, but it was interesting. You want to hear the funniest thing that ever happened on that show? I would love to hear the story about the eye. Uh, yes, it is the story of the eye. And uh, so, uh, again, remember they're sixth, fifth, sixth graders. Close match and uh, the question was, what is the thin transparent coating that covers and protects the eye? And some kid rings in immediately, it stops at nine points. Matthew, for nine points and the lead, the thin transparent coating that covers and protects the eye, and he said, the pupil. Oh, I'm sorry, Matthew, that's wrong. Seth, if you can tell me, what is the thin transparent coating that covers and protects the eye? And the guy says, uh it's the um the uh 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 and i said hurry before you hear the buzzer the uh the cervix (laughs) wow i don't know where you're learning your stuff if the cervix were over your eye that would be a completely different story i didn't say that but off the set the, the 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 producer on the set and the guys in the control room, I could hear them laughing in her earpiece. I mean, they were falling out. And I had to maintain, you know, that straight face when the tally light on the camera came on and I, oh no, that's wrong. It's the cornea, the cornea, you know, you dummy. Um, And then later on, the teachers were apologizing to me for the gaffe. And I'm like, "Eh, you know, he heard it somewhere, you know. So (laughs) give him a year, he'll be taking, uh, you know, physiology. What is it? (laughs) The human body. (laughs) This is why I didn't go to Northwestern. (laughs) I don't even know what this is called, all of this.
0: Uh, That was good, man. Uh, when you go to Paul Mano's, what do you order?
1: Man, they got a great veal chop, the veal chop. But I had a, I was there the other night. They are open, by the way. Uh, and all the waiters have masks on. It's like little banditos running around. Uh, I had the, oh my gosh, it was so good. It was a rigatoni noodle with, uh, lobster and, uh, corn and, um, uh, and sausage in kind of a cream sauce oh oh that was good and then one of their uh, uh ensalada mistas, the salads and you know i love palmonos.
0: when you have a rehearsal dinner there what's on the
1: menu oh i don't know i who remembered <laughs> i don't know that's that's actually where i asked my current wife <laughs> paul wasn't open in the first one uh <laughs> where i asked my current wife Uh, To marry me, and then we had the rehearsal dinner there. So both things happened, and there are pictures on the wall to prove it. Well, you know, picture lasts forever. Uh, I don't know that. Does it? (laughs) We're not talking the Internet. This is just an 8 by 10. They'll throw us out uh, eventually, you know, when somebody more important shows up. But we have two spots. If you go into Palmanos, as you enter, there's a bunch of pictures. Stop, look up, and look slightly down. You'll see those pictures. Hurry before they're gone forever. <laughs> uh, is it true you're an ordained minister? Eh, you know, through the uh, the Internet, maybe. I don't know if that uh, counts as ordination, but, uh, yeah, I've married some people.
0: And you're a pilot.
1: Yeah, you, you know, I, I I'm not current, but yes, yes, I am.
0: Have you ever had a glad that's over moment? with
1: being a pilot? Uh, Yeah, I've had uh, maybe a half a dozen. Um, uh, The most recent was, no, I'm kidding, but I flew with the Blue Angels. Mm. And that was spectacular. Yeah. Um, Did about an hour with them. We did every maneuver they do in the show. And your next question is, did you pass out? (laughs) Is that your next question? Sure. Does everybody ask that? Did you pass out? And the short answer is yes. Uh, The long form answer is, uh, yeah, but it took 8.4 G's to get me there. I was okay at 8.3. They tell you that they don't try and do that because, you know, there's danger in that. But the fact of the matter is, is that I believe it because I've got a pretty good constitution. I know the Hick maneuver. Uh, I was up in the F4 Phantom flying back in the, in the early eighties. So, um, you know, I'm not unaccustomed to a little G force. Well, 8.3 Gs. Okay. I'll tell you what it is. If you weigh 200 pounds, that's 1,660 pounds of pressure on you. That's what it is. It's your body weight times 8.3. So, um, on the very last maneuver that they did he says all right we're gonna do a carrier landing and that's as if you were coming in on an aircraft carrier and uh, he pulled this uh, routine where he went into the turn at such a high rate of speed he said he would always give me uh, a little command ready hit it and I'd start my hit maneuver I went <sighs> and then uh, you know, it, was, it was crazy and they record all that stuff. And I have that on uh, uh, a little uh, disc here somewhere on my, in my office. And oddly enough, I've, here it is, right here, this little unit. That's it, man. That's me <laughs> passing out at 8.3 Gs. It's me doing aileron rolls, uh, barrel rolls, uh, crazy maneuvers I've never even heard of. But um, that was fun. And uh, then, uh, then I was actually in a plane crash. I was glad that was over. Mm. It was a fuel starvation routine that I didn't think was my fault, but ultimately it's pilot error. And, you know, just it was a series of events that led to a plane going down at an airfield.
0: <laughs> so are you first in line for Top
1: Gun 2? Top <laughs> uh, Gun! Mew, let me in. I always want to get back to flying. I really do. I keep looking at airplanes to buy. I don't know that I'll ever do it, but my wife says sure go. She hates flying, so I'd be alone in that. What's the point? You can't <laughs> take your loved ones up in danger. Why take anybody up?
0: So we're sitting here with Guy Phillips. Good time so far, gonna wrap it up a little bit, talk about uh St. Louis Seven on YouTube. But what are the things that really should not be underestimated is how much work you do for charities here in town and, and have forever. Shouldn't spotlight just one, but if memory serves you were one of the first people I remember who, who championed St. Louis men's group against cancer. Yeah. How'd that come
1: about? Uh, that was the year that Jack Buck got sick he was a guy that would, um, the St. Louis Men's Group actually is has been around for 50 plus years. Um, but when Jack Buck, he was the MC at their annual dinner, uh, their sports dinner. And when he took sick and couldn't do it, they asked me to do it. And uh, I filled in for a year doing that for him. And then they asked me to join the committee. And I have been on their committee ever since. So that's that's how that all started. And Jack was a, he was a friend to many people, but I could actually call Jack Buck a friend of mine and, and we knew each other and his daughter, Julie, um, uh, was an intern for me for a little while. Joe, I met Joe when he was 11 and uh, he was kind of a little chubby kid. And um, so, you know, there's no question that he is one of the uh, preeminent sports broadcasters in the, in the, in the world, perhaps. I love Joe, and I think he does a great job. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of charities, and I—I uh, I don't know. I've always had that kind of feeling that uh, you know this has been a gift I've been given, the, you know, gift to entertain and and help, and and I always feel like I don't do enough. But uh, they always argue; these charities argue that you know that that there's a, a place for everything and everyone, and. So I fit in pretty nicely as the icing on the cake. Let's plug ALIVE. ALIVE is an acronym for alternatives living in violent environments. It is a great resource for women and occasionally men who find themselves in a situation where they need to escape, uh, oftentimes with children. And ALIVE provides temporary housing, shelter, food, transportation uh, to those who uh, need to get away. Um, staying in those situations, sometimes you believe that there's no alternative way for you to, uh, to get out, to escape. And there are, there are many. And uh, Alive is a wonderful resource, particularly for women who find themselves in abusive relationships. And uh, my association with them goes back to a newspaper article in the Post-Dispatch that was maybe two or three column inches about closing their doors. This is about the time when O.J. was coming out with his videotape, you know, why I couldn't have done it or whatever the name of it was. And it incensed me and I got on the air and I said, look, we have a local charity that's closing their doors and here's O.J. in the same newspaper with an ad saying, here's the video, send me twenty-nine ninety-five And, you know, so I said, you send me 29 Pretend you're buying this video, but don't buy OJ's video, buy mine. Let's keep their doors open. And I think we raised in about 10 days, $30,000, turned it over to those guys. They kept the doors open and the rest is history. It's not that they don't struggle and don't need help, but um, I think that was the beginning of a new chapter for them. And it was, And that was how I kind of jumped in and, I'm on their board right now and, and uh, happy to serve.
0: So you're at the auction. What is it like to try to sell Albert Poolholes a dog?
1: It's the greatest. <laughs> it was the greatest. When Albert was playing here, we were at the Make-A-Wish auction at the Ritz Hotel. I was the auctioneer. And when it came to this dog, and I can't remember, uh, cute dog, uh, Albert started uh, bidding. And I think we started the bidding at like 1,500 bucks. and and. you know, and, And it went to 2,000 and 3,000 and 4,000 and finally got to like 4,800 bucks. And there was a guy all the way in the back of the room at the Ritz in the ballroom. And Albert Pujols was sitting kind of like uh, on the aisle about a third of the way back. And I said to the guy in the back, I finally stopped at just under 5,000. I said, listen to me, I don't know who you are. I know you've got the money. You can probably buy a whole kennel of dogs but I'm not selling you this dog. I'm gonna sell this dog to Albert Pools because if I sell this dog to Albert Poolholes, I've got a story to tell my grandchildren. <laughs> and he stopped bidding. I sold it for $5,000 to Albert Pools. end of story.
0: Getting ready again to wrap it up. You've interviewed hundreds of people. Was there or are there people you were most interested and excited
1: to be interviewing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, man, thinking about my career and the number of people I've talked to, it's it's been pretty impressive. But again, in my you know forty-one years in St. Louis and forty-eight years in this business overall, you can expect that I would be talking to a lot of people. Uh, I would say that the one person that uh, I found the most engaging, uh, the most entertaining. Uh, and certainly the nicest was Tom Hanks. He was wonderful. Another guy that uh, represented the media well was Dick Clark. Uh, he was one of the most genuine people I've ever met in my life. Uh, Rob Thomas from Matchbox 20, hmm. uh, he was probably the nicest musician that, uh, that I ever had on the show. Uh, he, was, he was terrific. And among the worst, I can tell you. Gabe Kaplan, um, also uh, Heart to Heart. What was her name? Mary um, Art. Stephanie Powers. Right. There you go. There you go. Yeah, not nice. Uh, Robert Wagner just sat there like a lump of coal. He wasn't really the one we were interviewing. I was interviewing his. Yeah, she was a. She was a bitch. <laughs> I mean, when you talk about nasty people, she was. She was just. Nasty. And she had this affect, this fake, you know, English accent. I think she was born in Arkansas or something, you know, she was terrible. She was terrible. Um, and then um, who else was? Oh, uh, Barney Miller, Hal Linden. Loved that guy. He was like a father figure to me. I loved him. You know, he was entertaining. He could sing. He could dance. He could do it all. And I interviewed him about a show he was doing at the Muni. And the very first thing I asked him about was, you know, the Barney Miller show. And he said, I'm not here to talk about that. That's, that's the past. Oh. Well, the past is who you are, whether you like it or not. And
0: you got to ask a big go story. story.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Fish actually smelled like fish.
0: <laughs> All right, man. So I've read that you wanted to retire at 58. You hung around for about 10 years more. What, Is there anything that you're really happy you stuck around 10 more years that you
1: accomplished? Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I got to meet a couple of new people had a few new partners. Um, You know, a staff has its changes in that period of time. And there are people that I, I become uh, attached to. And, and uh, there were things that, uh, you know, that's one thing about being in this business and maybe any business is you got to have an open mind and be willing to, to change and to you know go to that demographic college, not just for on the air, but um, you know for relatability. So I learned a lot of things from a lot of people, most of them younger, and um, I, the technology. Uh, I probably wouldn't have pressed into the technology as much as I did in the last ten years, and so I'm thankful for that. And um, uh, I don't really have any regrets for staying on. Uh, after talking about doing this for a decade. None at all.
0: What memories do you have of the Hurricane Katrina telethon?
1: Wow. Um, Just, it was bittersweet because some of the images that we saw were uh, were just heart-wrenching. And, you know, you transpose your kids' faces with the kids that have no homes with, uh, you know, parents who've lost everything. Um, you know, and then you celebrate the fact that, uh, there were people that are quick to want to help, you know, that was, you think about that. I mean, and we live in a very giving community, oddly enough with our racial divide and all of the, the you know, we call it that stuff that tears us apart. People come together when they, or trying to help one another so that was uh you know that that was wonderful i don't know if there was something you were fishing for there five million dollars that's a lot of cheese man yeah it, it's a lot of money it really is but uh um glad i was part of it that was just you know not, i can't be responsible for it you know it's it's the nature of people responding to others still coaching golf No, gave that up about six years five six years ago um, if I, you don't mind me patting myself on the back? Two state championships back to back. That's right. I'm glad you could do that. I, arthritis, I can't lift that up. um, but, uh, no, it was fun. I still see those kids. In fact, I am, uh, supporting one of them in his quest to make it on the tour, whether he will or not. I don't know, but he called me and he said, Hey coach, uh, I'm trying to make it on the tour. Would you want to invest in me? What am I supposed to say? No? <laughs> you weren't good enough? I don't believe in you? You got that 25000 that you didn't have to spend for the
0: promotion sitting on the side. Yeah,
1: right. Exactly, right? <laughs> I, I, I salted that away. <laughs> I didn't tell you that the guy I gave it to was a friend of mine. Bloody. No, no, I don't want to start a room. It's not true. <laughs>
0: We're wrapping up last question. Every golfer's got their favorite I Sunk the Putt story. What is your favorite I Sunk this Putt story?
1: I was, and and believe me, I didn't know this question was coming. I, I didn't know any of these questions were coming. Uh, I was playing in a, a golf tournament in Palm Desert called the Little Masters. It was 40 St. Louis guys that flew out there and every guy on the uh, in the tournament had to kick in $2,500 as a fee. So there's $100,000 over four days of golf. And I'm playing in this thing for the first time. Not only was there $2,500 in there, but there was a mandatory $125 a man per team. So that's another $500 uh, for skins, the skins game. So, oh, man, we were tied at the end, our team, and I don't know if you remember Tim Van Gelder, who sure. used to do sports here in St. Louis. So, and Tim was a, a, a great golfer. I think he was a scratch golfer at one time. So our team and his team were in a playoff. Four guys on each team, so there was eight guys in the playoff, and 32 other guys in golf carts following this uh, deal. And we teed off on the first hole. We're both on the green. Uh, remember, it's four shots. It's like a scramble. Four shots on, four guys putting. They were further away, so they putted first. They didn't make the uh, the, the putt, but they made their par. Three of our guys putted, and then I had to putt. And I had about a maybe a 22-footer. Nailed it. I nailed it and we won $36,000. I don't even know what it was. It was an enormous number. I still have the card somewhere in the house. And guys were jumping all over me. It was, uh, it was wild. I had so many hundreds that I fanned them out, took a picture in the Palm Desert Airport. I looked like a drug dealer, <laughs> honest to God. I fanned out all those 100s. And you know those photo booths that take four pictures? <laughs> I was like taking pictures with all the $100 bills. Um, so that was my butt story. Nicely done. Hey, we threw this
0: together kind of quick. I know that uh, you've got lots of things probably that you could be doing other than this, but I appreciate the time and I hope you had a good one.
1: I did, very much so. Thanks so much for having me on, appreciate it. Thanks for watching, we'll see you soon.
0: Another one in the books. It was fun getting to know Guy. He was very nice and quick to say yes you enjoyed it you'll probably like a previous episode with rainy Carricker and an upcoming episode with jc corcoran next sunday's guest ray hartman and we don't talk politics as we do thanks for your time this time till next time so long